0: Do not attempt to adjust your radio. You are now listening to Pop and Schlock Live with Jake and Meredith on KPFT.
1: night which means it is time for pop and schlock live here on kpft hd2 thank you for tuning in i am your host jay goodson dodd you can call me jake because that's a really long thing to say that doesn't rhyme so it's not going to be my catchphrase but i just wanted to mix it up today all right so uh i want to make sure that all the mics work meredith can you talk into yours i can do a
0: lot of things
1: okay try that again
0: i can do a lot of things
1: Not sure if that's working. Anyway.
0: (laughs) I can do a lot of things.
1: Let's try this again.
0: I can do a lot of things.
1: There it goes. I just need to turn it up all the way. Okay. Um, First, you must be smarter than the device. (laughs) Which is not going to happen in this studio. No. In this studio, it is not going to happen. We're
0: going to be the first ones eaten in the robot uprising.
1: Yeah, it feels it feels like that, at least a little bit. Anyway, um, we are here to talk about a film that um, Meredith says we are late to the party on, uh, just because we've been talking about things that are in theaters and wide release, and sometimes things fall through the cracks. And so what we wanted to talk about is a film that... Um, Finally got a home video release. It is the adaptation of Joe Kelly's graphic novel *I Kill Giants*, which, um, full disclosure, I have not read. Um, I have only have the first. Uh, I have the first issue, which I got for free on Comixology, and uh, I never got beyond that. So um, that's. That's my expertise with it, which is none. I went into it completely blind, which um, was kind of to my detriment, apparently. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, so, where do we want to start with this particular? I think
0: we should introduce our guest because that's the polite thing to do, Jake.
2: No, let's not introduce our guest. Let's just pretend that he's not here. I was gonna like, I was gonna like make a big deal out of it and be like. Hi, guys. Yeah, well, I mean... Hi,
1: Chris.
0: How well, did you... When did you get here?
1: Welcome back, Chris. You're joining the elite club of the few return guests. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Like, the, there's there's only a certain number of people who are willing to put themselves through this more than once. <laughs> you have to be a certain level of masochist, Isaiah, to come back several times. Isaiah?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I've always been down with uh, the teachings of Masoch, I guess. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, I'm here And I'm here to to talk You're doing doing a great (laughs) job so far Talking, talking away Would you
0: you like to give uh, a little introduction For the people that were That Missed last week, but you should catch
1: up.
2: Who, uh, who, who missed last week? Last week was an amazing episode. You should definitely listen. How to How can you miss last
0: week? It was a great
2: episode. My name is Chris. I'm the guy that hated Solo last week, and as, I, <laughs> as I've been um, as I've been told by pretty much every other friend of mine who is also a nerd, I am wrong. That everybody pretty much had all of y'all's opinions about it. That it was a perfectly fine movie, and even a little bit fun, and perhaps good. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, nobody, nobody. So I'm probably gonna see it again, just just. Was I wrong? Just to be like, no, it's the children children who are
0: wrong. (laughs)
1: Oh, God. I love that we all simultaneously our synapses fired at exactly the same moment, and we went to exactly the same image in pop culture.
2: I'm glad that you guys grew up on a diet of The Simpsons as well. Pretty much until, like, oh, probably until, like, midway through high school. If I said something and it was funny, it came from The Simpsons far and away. It was not an original thought.
0: I didn't really watch much Simpsons until late high school, actually. (laughs) I grew up on the Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which probably explains that everything. That
2: explains a lot. Yeah, that, that, ought, that ought to explain some stuff. Anyway. Most um, things. Anyway, none of these is I Kill Giants.
1: <laughs> none, none, of this,
2: none of this is I Kill Giants. Not even
1: a single bit of it. But uh, I want to get into it, because I went in completely blind. I had a vague idea of what the story was and what it entailed. Um, well, and, I didn't want
0: to spoil you, so I like, couldn't
1: tell you. Yeah, and and like based off of like the little bit that I had read from, like I said, the first issue. Of the comic series that I never went beyond because I'm like, I, I don't like pumping money into comicsology. Um, I don't know what it is. There's something like hardwired in the back of my brain. I'm like, well, what what happens whenever it eventually folds and, I'm, and I lose all those digital things and the cloud evaporates in mm-hmm. a form of like digital condensation, like whatever it is. I'm afraid I'm going to lose all of that. So I never like. Put you can't my... burn that
2: around a fire. You can't burn digital comics around a fire after the apocalypse.
1: Yeah, I know, right? It's like I'm. I'm I'm going to be like in my apocalypse bunker with my old like newsprint copies of like Amazing Spider-Man 292 going they'll never take this away from me. I don't care how many times the marauders come and kill my family. Like so you
0: can't take your iPad to Comic Palooza and get people to sign it. Although you could, but you it would could. just be blacked out with the Sharpie by the end of the <laughs> the weekend.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm I was thinking that maybe I would try to go back and like I, I don't know see if my local library had a copy so that I could read it. Cause they do. That's by where all I read like, it. By like by all accounts, it's a very well-regarded graphic novel. It's got a, a pretty significant following from people that I've talked to.
2: I um, have been a big fan of Joe Kelly since the early 2000s and his run on Superman. Uh, he wrote, in my opinion. Well, in many people's opinion, arguably one of the best Superman stories ever written. Was that the uh, president Lex stuff? No. Well, he was during that time, yeah. the president Lex stuff. He he was a, he was one of the writers that was in charge of that. Because I feel like I remember that. reading his Action Comics run. Yeah, I want to say it was Action. It was one of those, because it was back when Superman had four books. Yeah, it was, and it was Superman, Action, less, and Adventures. And and, yeah, rem- Adventure Superman and Man of Steel. And, uh, and I remember and- Adventures was Greg Rucka. Because I
1: love that run. Yeah. That was like one of my all-time favorite Superman runs. Because it, it was like one of the best lowest Lane yeah, comics it was, around. It was, it was Jeff so Loeb
2: was on Superman. Joe Kelly was on Action. Joe Casey, I think, was on Adventure. And then I guess Greg Rucka was on Man of Steel. And they took over from the guys that basically had had it since Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh. Like after John Byrne. And they had it basically uninterrupted all the way until 1999 mm-hmm. when they all took it over. And they did the Emperor joker storyline right. and they they, they, they resurrected zod they resurrected zod and uh but the one that joe kelly wrote was action comics 775 which is what's so funny about truth justice in the american way oh,
1: where I he love basically that one. battles
2: an authority like group called the elite yeah, uh, and, and basically, like basically, like proves that, like the idea that was the of, one
1: with Manchester Black, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah and, yeah. and then he used the Elite later in his Justice League run, which he took over from Mark Wade and uh, Yeah, and he did
1: the Justice and, League Elite miniseries, which yeah. was actually really good. And then. uh they actually just brought back Manchester Black in uh, the Superman comics last year, so it's no, really. it's been a it's been something that's kind of been a lasting effect and uh, then again, like Joe Kelly's one of those uh, one of those comic book writers that um, he has a long lasting impact on a lot of things mm-hmm. um, you can trace a lot of uh, I mean look at Deadpool right. right you know most of what we associate with Deadpool's personality comes from that
2: mid 90s run
0: literally did Deadpool what? two three weeks ago
2: yeah. yeah yeah exactly and what's cool about i think this adaptation too is that he also wrote the screenplay yeah right which is awesome. and i think
1: there was also a credit uh did, didn't the artist get a credited uh a credit on the film as well or am i missing or was Maybe. that just a misinterpretation?
0: i sorry. actually shut it off when the credit started because i wanted to go to bed oh, okay i know i'm sorry everybody that worked on the technical side of things
2: <laughs> i'm sorry best boy grip yes. but i don't know your name
0: I'm sorry, animals, that weren't hurt in the making of this film. I'm sorry I didn't acknowledge that you weren't hurt in the making of this film. Forgive me of my blunders.
2: Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, I read I Kill Giants basically when I found out I was going to be on this show Uh, and watched it. And um, and I don't... Like, I still haven't, like, hopped on board the digital train. Yeah. Like, it's sort of my, like, place of last resort if I just cannot get an issue. So, and, so I I picked it up at Bedrock City Comics on Washington. Uh, Hi, Chuck. Hi, Taryn. Yeah, yeah, I got it from, yeah, yeah, from Chuck. And I I went during the sale and got it for 40% off. Nice. You know, because I'm also poor. (laughs) Um, And I gave it to my fiance to read as well because it seemed like something that was right up her alley um and so we both with this experience of like reading the, the the graphic novel and then watching the movie together and like comparing notes and stuff yeah so.
0: i uh i think there's definitely a case for it to be made to be studied in schools yeah for sure especially um, in its depiction of of adolescent grief
1: Yeah, whenever which is something uh, I
0: really want to dig pretty deep into later.
1: Because after I after I watched the film and I I watched the film earlier today because uh, I had just a little bit of free time and uh, I'm I'm I was watching the film and. At first, it it wasn't really resonating with me. It felt, um, honestly, a little pedestrian within the first like, 20, 25 minutes of it, and it wasn't really hooking me. Um, in the end, I was really on board with it, and I'll get into that a little bit deeper later on. But whenever uh, I finished watching the film, it did make me want to look into... Um, the graphic novel because like you said I feel like there's a strong case for utilizing it as a piece of literature if the themes are um, similar across both genres.
0: It has been a while since I last read the comic, but it was a it was an extremely faithful adaptation. And again it goes well, back it to goes the fact back, that Kelly wrote, yeah, Kelly, wrote it I, himself. I, I
1: didn't imagine he would change too much going from page to screen in that in that regard.
2: It was definitely yeah, it was definitely a pretty faithful adaptation um, and uh I felt like it was particularly natural. Uh, My fiancé, Jessie, she specifically thought that it was kind of like almost too faithful in in that weird way where it was like they were trying to shoehorn in certain lines or something like that. I didn't really feel that way, but... um, you know, I I can, I guess I could see that, that as like a valid criticism or whatever, but, uh, but I, I felt like it was very naturalistic adaptation and, um, you know, I can. Well, from, from
1: what I, what I remember of, again, the one issue I have read, um, the characterization, um, of our lead character, um, came across as more, in the on page she came across as more like quintessentially almost precocious you know mm-hmm. um in that like that dialogue would not come across naturalistic on screen and so i feel like there was a translation there that um like looking at the way that she was behaving and you know Meredith you talked about this that is kind of the way that people in grief will act they will um, there's a certain level of facade that you put on and whenever you're younger that facade looks a lot like what what Barbara was doing and I
0: think I think precocious or affected or um, yeah, I just said affected yeah so precocious or affected I think that is going to be a little more passive and i think it works better on the page i think changing her to be more abrasive yeah was a was a much better choice and it, it didn't it didn't stray at all from the character and what they were trying to accomplish with her but i think that abrasiveness is a little more active to watch on the screen
1: yeah and like so you, it, you and you brought up before we walked in the studio that one of the things about the character that was um really interesting to you was the idea that um there were many times where she did not come across as a sympathetic point of focus for the film. And, oh, she wasn't. And, she
0: really wasn't. She, and, she, oh, I mean, go ahead.
1: I mean, there were there were parts where I'm like, looking at looking at all the people that all of our major characters and even our minor characters. I'm looking at them, and with her. I understood that abrasiveness. Like looking at her family situation, even though we were slowly seeing like bits and pieces fall into place and the understanding come together, Mm -hmm. um, even whenever we didn't have the whole picture of the family situation, I felt like I understood her outlook on life because of like looking at like her brother and the way that her brother behaved and looking at what um, her sister was going through. Looking at that, I can see why she would act in the way that she did. It felt like a very naturalistic progression for what an adolescent would do whenever you have those types of personalities in a very small, confined space. So I can see why her personality would develop like that. And even though it was abrasive and she came across as unsympathetic, at the same time, I understood it. It felt like something that was um, in terms of like the world that the film was creating, it made sense.
0: Now at what point because like, Chris and I have read the book, at what point did you start thinking that she might be grieving?
1: Um, I feel like probably right around and obviously we'll get into spoilers a little bit later on, probably right around I guess the moment in the train yard whenever she has the confrontation with the giant, I feel like that was maybe my first inkling of what that meant. Um, I, Whenever I was watching it, I wasn't necessarily understanding or believing that it was about grief up until that point. Up until that point, I was wondering if maybe it was more of a treatise about like adolescent schizophrenia or mental illness or something along those lines.
0: I mean, it is about mental illness, it's just not about...
1: Yeah, but not 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 necessarily not necessarily like hallucinatory in the way that I was that I was assuming. I was assuming that maybe there was something like something in a different direction, you know. And um, I, I like the overall thesis of the film. I like the overall message and the theme that they're trying to present. I liked that, um, especially because, and like this, this movie really messed with me. Um, because like over the last month I've been going through a lot of grieving myself. It's like, um, and I wasn't prepared for that. Um, especially towards the end, whenever you get the emotional gut punch, um, It's really, really difficult. Like, this, you know, uh, I've spoken in the past about how people make, uh, have made a mockery out of, like, trigger warnings, but I really wish this film would have had one. Um, because at the end of the film, when spoiler alert, we find out that, um, Barbara's mother is dying, that moment where she goes and, like, actually, physically enters the room with her mother and they are like and she's apologizing to her for not coming to see her and all that that hit like a sledgehammer to the chest mm-hmm. especially like if you have been in any situation like that if you've been in any situation where you've had to deal with a loved one dying in front of you that is like that soul crushing and that really that emotional weight was so well handled um now i feel like Maybe at some point, as I was watching it, I'm thinking, once I realized what they were doing with the grief aspect of it, I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm going, okay, maybe this is a little heavy-handed, but then it came back around full circle and I came to appreciate it. Um,
0: I feel like in this particular case, though, heavy-handed works because it is a young adult book.
2: Yeah. I definitely, yeah, I agree. I, I you know, to, to say I pretty much knew from, like, the third page that she was... <laughs> mourning the loss of something or was afraid to confront the loss of something um obviously i didn't know and I, and in fairly quickly i was like oh it's her mom mm-hmm. like a, like or something like that and um i uh yeah and i think the i think the fact that it is usually with most YA sort of focus things like i can still kind of get on board and enjoy it but i did feel like uh, it was like a little bit simplistic in its messaging for to hit me really, really powerfully. Um, of course, you know, both of my parents are alive and well at the at the moment. i I you know, we kind of had a scare with my mom about five years ago. And then, uh, so I don't I haven't actually like lost a parent yet. And or, you know, anything like that. I have been in the room with a dying and decaying relative uh, and that scene in the movie hit me so, so much harder, even than that scene in the book did. And, you know, I'll talk kind of, I'll talk a little bit later about why I feel like that in the movie hit me harder. But, um, it really comes down to the actors. I mean, Oh, she yeah. is the, the phenomenal. The act, uh, the acting, Madison Wolfe. Yeah, she the is,
1: acting all around in this movie was really, really, really solid. Shout out yeah. to
0: Imogene Poots yeah, that, too. Yes, and the that's, older sister. Yes,
1: that scene, Karen. I I identified with her character so hard. Um, it was one of those things where. When you watch movies like this um there's the you can tip your hand with a character like that to where it comes across as like oh whoa is me um it's it's you're almost like you, you lose the sympathy by playing into it too hard but there was something very very naturalistic and the fact that she was so I I think the, the scene that really sold it for me was the puppet show scene where uh you you've got Barbara trying to kind of maintain her own her she's trying to maintain her own reality while at the same time being uh, a counterbalance for uh karen who is obviously going through so so much right and it, it was it was a really beautiful poignant scene um and i think that a lot of what this movie does very very well is handling the way that people react to abnormality in People's personalities whenever you're talking about um, social friendships and you're talking about family dynamics.
0: Right. And oh yeah, no, no, please, no go actually
2: ahead. I was I was about to say you go ahead.
0: The juxtaposition though between the way Karen handles grief and the way that Barbara handles grief, it seems it's it's the expectation versus the reality. Is that Karen <laughs> right. is handling her grief by in the way that, that it's socially prescribed. You push it down and then you push forward. Yeah. You don't have time to sit and and start being upset or crying. Whereas Barbara, the reality is is oftentimes so huge that it's easy to get lost inside of your own head. It's easy to get abrasive. And something that I had talked about with you guys ahead of time too, is that it's this, as far as I know, is one of the only movies that I have seen where people are mean to someone who's in grief deliberately as a result of them being in grief, which is not something that is often talked about when we talk about the grief no, process. You, no, usually,
1: yeah. and whenever you see, like, media that handles that, usually the idea is that every character is handling them with kid gloves. Like, they're trying to get yeah. a, a very fragile egg to, like they're carrying it with like they have five pairs of mitts on their hands and they are carrying it ever so gently like that is the character it's just this fragile egg who needs to be protected at all times but that's not not the way humans treat other people that's not
0: that's not always the way that people are going to be supportive they don't ever talk about the people where if they see you in grief they get angry
2: yeah well and there's also like the aspect of it being like middle school as well so there's that very as hell and it's like you know
0: adding more to the angry soup
2: yeah exactly and like the bully who i can't remember if she had stated a reason why she was acting out like but the idea that she she Preyed on Barbara and her grief as a way to promote her own yeah. personal power and dynamics. Yeah, well, I, I, and think the,
1: I think the idea, I think the idea behind her character, behind the behind the bully, was the idea of, you know, the a bully is always going to find the weak. Like it, they're mm-hmm. going to target the weak, and it doesn't matter if that that weakness comes from a place of just um, like natural social awkwardness, or if that person is grieving or whatever. It's just they they smell blood in the water mm-hmm. and they are trying to project an image of their own superiority by pointing out the flaws of others. And so her character, that bully's character came across as like, to me, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've met that girl. I've seen that girl mm. in the school of the, of the the halls of the school that I work at. I see it all yeah. the time.
0: The only unrealistic character to me was the uh, the school counselor that actually cares about the students.
2: <laughs> that,
0: that was not, that well, was not a very... Shot to the
2: guidance counselors that's of America. Not a, that's re, that's that, not a
0: real thing and, that exists. And whenever
1: you sent the, that to me, I felt bad because... Our guidance counselor is awesome. I love her. Okay, um, so you
0: have the one guidance counselor like in the entire she's, country. She's that awesome. Cares.
1: <laughs> she's awesome. But it's like, and you know, going to. But the, their
0: job is mostly just to tell kids it's your fault that you're being bullied and to uphold the status quo.
1: That so. I feel like that. I feel like you you see that a lot and a lot of and. Even in media, that's how they're portrayed. Well, that's a lot.
0: It's always been my experience they
1: But I feel like possibly the, the the backlash to that sort of presentation is why we see like I've I've met a few really really strong guidance counselors over the last couple of years, and I think it's because of the way that they're portrayed in media that it's almost like well I'll show them I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that nobody dies on my watch like it's there's it's like a sense of personal pride in making sure that like they. Resolve whatever issues they possibly can, as long as it's within their grasp. They're at least going to try. Well, good on them. And that's and the, yeah, good on them. And it's th- this film. Like, I feel like the, presenting that idealized, that idealized look at a guidance counselor, someone who actually wants to help like I, f- I, I felt that and I'm like, okay, that's I feel that's... like
0: they might be disappointed if they see a movie like this and say, maybe I'll just go to my school guidance counselor and, and then find the... out shut up, freak. It's yeah. your fault that you're bullied because a have lot you, of the, because have you tried of the times... not being a weirdo. You know. Yeah, because
1: a lot of the times, if you look at the way media handles um, teachers, administration, guidance counselors, all of that, um, they paint them out as, like, oblivious and inept. Case in point, look at any
2: any adult in the 13 Reasons Why
1: show.
0: Or look at uh, AP Bio, which ha- I happen to love AP Bio.
2: Yeah, but well, like- and it's also funny, too, because like, I just recently—I finally got the chance to watch A Wrinkle in Time, and I was like— mm-hmm. Man, bleep these bleeping bleepers. Like, well, how dare a principal say that to a human being, Yeah, you yeah. know, who's lost, who's lost their their freaking father like yeah. oh my goodness like but
1: that is that is how but that's, it, the it, that's the way that's the way it is a lot of the time yeah that's I, yeah. how and they it, will
0: talk and to it's me. funny
1: it's funny because like going through the going through the like the process of grief the way that people treat you whenever they know that you've been through personal tragedy it varies so wildly from person to person because like after after i lost my parents People either looked at me like they didn't know what to say, like they have no idea how to make words,
0: like
1: like they don't know how to handle it, or they like give me whatever the poorly written version of a Hallmark card like sympathy letter is. They're like, there, there. Like, th- yeah. They'll give me that. Or, and this has been far less prevalent, but I know there are people who are like, oh, um, you know, I know that what you went through sucks, but at the same time, you're making this so hard on me. You know, yeah, like. That's, and, but they,
0: they, you almost and, never and, and, see and that. You
1: never, in what you don't see that covered in media a whole lot. No, because it's because we don't like to think of ourselves as people who can do that in a situation. And then we're never prepared
0: for it. Yeah, we're not and, prepared for the people that tell you, "It's we're sorry that you're going through all this, but you just need to just like shut up and and stop being a burden on me." Like they don't ever talk to you about that, which I think. Kudos to Joe Kelly for not ignoring that element of the grieving process. Yeah,
1: I mean, and it's, I I read, uh, after after I finished watching the film, I tried to do a little bit of research on the graphic novel and on the film, and Excuse me. Um, one of the things that I thought was uh, was interesting was the way that he the way that he went through the process of doing this. He was dealing with a sick family member and apparently he outlined and came up with the idea for the entire comic series over the course of an afternoon while he was like actively going through this sort of a process.
2: Yeah, his dad, if I remember correctly, the story is that his dad was basically dying from diabetes right. and he would just lost a limb and he had taken his dad to physical therapy and while as we was in the waiting room waiting for his dad for physical therapy it just like you know he just Pooped out the idea for I Kill Giants like in his yeah. like notepad, and he was like, I pretty much had the story in that afternoon, and then it was wow. like developing it from there. And it took him years, I think, to get it because pu- it was published in 2008. Yeah, I want to say that he said that this was in like 2004 or 2005, yeah. and it took him that well, long time. Like, well, I know
1: that he had whenever he reached out to uh, the eventual artist of the project, he to, more... Yeah, he was go- he was actually in art school at the time, so it took him two years to finish with his uh, with his art degree and making sure he was finishing that up because he was going to art school in Spain. If I'm not uh, not in correct um, so that contributed to part of the timeline but um, it it's looking at uh, looking at the film and looking at the adaptation that they produced um, I did find it Ultimately, I mean, uh, like I said, it took me a while to get invested in it, but towards the end, I really started being drawn in by what they were doing, and I find that to be. This is one of those films where it was a. It's uh, it's a first time director of a of a feature length film. This uh, previously he had only done um, some small short films, and there was. As I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, there were parts of times whenever I was thinking, you know what, this would maybe have benefited from a more sure-handed style. The naturalistic thing was kind of turning, turning me off, but as I ruminate on it and as I think about it, the naturalistic style of how they shot the film and how it was like put together, I feel like that worked to its advantage and I feel like uh, one thing I brought up to you was I said you know, this would have been interesting if it was shot like a Wes Anderson film Hmm. because if you could imagine like that character's if you look at Barber's characterization, and then like the uh, like the whimsical, like fantastical nature of the the giants and the beasts, like in filtering that through like a Wes Anderson lens, it would have made it uh, a lot more striking. You but know, I think it, it might have. But I don't know if it would have contrasted with the tone very the, well.
0: Now, now you know who you could you could get to do the whimsical, but then get the very dark tone. Spike Jones. Yeah, but I was thinking uh, Tarzim Singh.
1: Yeah, that's true. I
0: think Tarzan saying if, if we're going to do fantasy,
1: uh, fantasy directed... You just want Lee Pace to play all the Giants. He probably could. I mean, he probably could. I'm not going to lie. But uh, we might be getting that Pushing Daisies reboot, so... I
0: don't think that needs a reboot.
1: Nor do
2: I, but... Uh... I don't think it
0: needs a reboot. I do think that, that Brian Fuller needs work. But I don't think Pushing Daisies needs a oh, reboot. Oh, how
2: far the mighty have fallen. Wasn't he like over, overbooked for a while and then suddenly he's no longer doing American Gods well, or he, Star Trek? Or- Br- Brian
1: Fuller is, uh, from what we understand, he's a man who demands perfection and demands a certain budget. And when he doesn't get it, he walks away oh, from sorry. the table, yes. which I admire the integrity, but... Um, I also prefer my creators to actually create something so that I can continue yes. to support them.
0: But in our head canon, Brian Brian Fuller is the president of television.
2: I, I did want to say mention also about the sort of art style. Something that I did uh, know and that I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Was when Ken N- Nimura, when he said that he was, he said that he when he was doing this, he he was playing a lot of Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, that makes sense. And he looked in the back. He looked back and he was like, now that I look back on this, I realize just how influenced I. <laughs> was by Shadow of the Colossus and he'd been playing it like, a, oh, he's, like he's like I didn't even realize it like now I look back on it I'm like oh my god Shadow of the Colossus yeah
1: like like, a, like I, I haven't like I said I haven't read the full graphic novel but I could definitely see certain elements of that um, on the creature the creature design that we saw in the
2: finished film. Oh, no, no, like, it's very faithful creature design. Oh yeah. So, I, mean, it's very, I mean his arts well you saw his, arts, his yeah, art is art, art style is, is, is bit very. Is, it's a and...
1: it's sketchy and it's also very um, exaggerated to a mm-hmm. point uh, but I really I, I like the art style of what I saw Like oh yeah, yeah. like feel like it of with the tone of what um, a what I of it's a the of it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a very very well.
0: the titan the very a lot the it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot design mm-hmm. it's yeah. an excellent beautiful design very distinctive
1: it reminded me of um, of Treebeard from Lord of the Rings it reminded me very much of that um, that sort of like wise old sage giant mm-hmm.
0: also can we talk about how awesome it was that the Giants really weren't antagonists
2: yeah yeah, that's I, really that was a that was a, that great, was a flip that I wasn't touch. quite expecting. That they were like, "No, we're just here to help you grieve." Like, yeah, like, yeah. And I,
0: I love that. I love. Well,
2: and I, and just- and what what also works is that it
1: thematically it's so much it worked with um with Barbara's arc in that she was actively, aggressively fighting against them. So that was them trying. You know, they were part of her grief grief process and she was fighting against it and i it was so insanely poignant because if you want to talk about a film that like really delves into like oh let's talk about coping mechanisms this was an this was an amazing film that covers that because i think it's important to notice or to note that whenever you're going through the grieving process your coping mechanisms are oftentimes going to suck oh yeah they're going to be terrible for you and the people that are around you like i'm I am the living embodiment of that. I have like w- when uh, when my parents unfortunately passed away. It was a huge, it was a huge, huge shock to my system. Um, now, I don't want to get into my whole family history because it's it's a doozy. Um, but my my father had a stroke several years ago. Uh, he he had one stroke uh, about six years ago and then another about four years ago. Um, so we and we i mean me and my brother and my mother we kind of mentally prepared myself prepared ourselves for saying it's probably going to happen again so we steeled ourselves against that so whenever he ended up passing uh that was something where it's like it didn't hit me immediately. It, it, it was something where I was just like, okay, now this is just another thing that I have to deal with. It's like, the put, shock. Yes, the sh- it's it's literally we're going like to put this on the pile right next to getting my dog immunized, immunized and like cleaning the kitchen. Yeah. It was, it was so matter of fact for me.
0: You compartmentalize so much of it because you feel like you have to.
1: But it was losing my mother a week later that it, I realized like, it was like, My coping mechanisms um, got, like, weirdly, like, the wires got crossed, so I didn't know exactly how to handle it, and Meredith, you know me well enough to know that whenever anything happens, like, even the slightest inconvenience, my first thing to go to is humor, and so, but the thing is that's
0: why we work so well together exactly
1: but what you don't understand about about grief sometimes is that um you kind of isolate yourself whether you want to or not and you're in (laughs) this weird little grief bubble um so i am trying to use humor to make sure i can get through the day unfortunately i'm also a high school teacher so i was making wildly inappropriate jokes during class like (laughs) you um it's not appropriate to make dead parent jokes a week before graduation it's It's not like my whole thing was like, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I know what it feels like to be Batman if Batman were 31 years old and his nemesis was a tree. Like that's like, that was how I was, that's how I was coping. I was just like, I was like, I I guess I'm, I'm the lamest version of Batman now. That's who I am. And so it's like, I'm just imagining myself like dressing, like, I don't know, like a skink, like, like, like the weirdest animal I can think of. Like I, like I'm a mongoose, like I'm gonna dress up like a
0: a woodpecker, like a mongoose. Be a woodpecker that okay. kills the trees.
1: Yeah, like a, like a woodpecker flies through my will my uh, my window and it's like I shall become the woodpecker. And then it's like my children are gonna be staring out the window while it's lunchtime and I'm just headbutting a tree, going, "Why won't you bring back my mother?" Like that's and and. I didn't realize how inappropriate it was to be making those jokes in front of a group of cl- kids who were ready to go out into the real world. And then I went to target and bought Lego sets. Like that was my coping mechanism. And so like today I'm sitting here and I'm teaching summer school and like the kids are finishing up their projects. They've got to do their writing and I'm just kind of like waiting for things to trickle in. So I'm like, Oh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll get, I'll get through the, I'll get through the movie for this week. I'm going to watch it. And so I get to the end where, uh, like it, the, big reveal about it's like oh she's just covering for the grief and I'm in the back of the room like sobbing like just in like just tears running down my cheeks and the kids are looking at me like are you okay and I'm like shut up you're supposed to be doing expository writing (laughs) and and then I I realized I'm like oh okay maybe trigger warnings aren't a joke
0: no they're (gasps) not that's exactly why they exist and it's We've had
1: this conversation. We've had this conversation before. We could do a whole episode. We should do a whole episode. We more. should
2: do a whole episode. We should do We do should do a whole episode on Neil Gaiman's Trigger Warning.
1: Yeah. Uh, but so it's, it's a it, and I but I love how subtle and nuanced and honest the story was. Oh
0: yeah, and you know she note that she doesn't Conquer grief. She learns no, to work with no. it because you don't ever really get over grief. It doesn't ever go away. It's always gonna be the background noise and static of your life when you lose a parent.
1: And it's and one of the things too, it's like you know, she's going through this as an adolescent, so that's that's a whole different like that's a whole different cup of tea than like what I'm going through because She's going to have to, like, go forth through her young adulthood without a parent, and that, you know, that presents a whole different level of, like, psychological challenges, whereas with me, having been with my parents up through, you know, 31, 32 years of my life, my thing is... Uh, the gr- the thing that's like hitting me with the grief is I have this like almost Pavlovian thing where whenever there's either something terrible happening to me or something interesting happening to me, my idea was I gotta call my parents. And now I don't have that, so like I will find myself like I'll like I'll see something weird on the news, like I'll, I'll see like the Donald Trump commander and cheese thing, and I'm like oh I gotta, <laughs> I gotta call my parents about oh wait a minute like so. Mm-hmm. you and I appreciate films that delve into different psychological aspects of you know the human condition and I wasn't expecting that with this film it kind of just like kicked the legs out for well, me because it was real it was it was real and, because so which is so many. weird to find in a film called I Kill Giants where um is like the marketing that I saw for it seemed to present like it was kind of a straightforward thing. Mm-hmm. It's like oh nobody b- believes this precocious little girl, and I was like fully expecting it to be like you know it's like she slays a giant and then everyone's like oh, but then third act reveal.
0: Yep, it's a metaphor. It's like oh no. it's like
1: oh no metaphors for grief. What? No, I can't day drink today. And
0: see <laughs> if I told you that ahead of time, then it
1: would it would have ruined ruin the it, impact. It would have ruined the impact. Like if I would have known. I think I would have like I, I would have put walls up.
0: But see, if I if I had known though, I, I could have given you trigger warnings, and I, I, I'm not saying that as a joke, just for no, our audience. That that no, PTSD and trauma are not. You could have been. Like, are not jokes, could have
1: been well, it's like honestly, I walked out of Deadpool two wishing it had a trigger warning. Um, basically, anything where people die is going uh, to affect me. Guardians
0: for like, of the Galaxy Volume Two.
1: I cannot. I will never be able mm-hmm. to watch Guardians Volume Two ever again. Like, like I already like. The first time I watched it, I cried during Yandu's funeral. Like now, I would just be reduced to a blubbering mess in the fetal position. It would just ruin me. And I, I'm just gonna. I'm basically just walking into every movie now, going, "Please don't let anyone die. Please don't let anyone
2: die." Like, you like, know, you just reminded me. I, this actually, this isn't my story. This happened to one of my best friend. My best friend worked at Lowe's Theater when uh, when we were in college, and. Um, uh, finding Nemo had just come out before oh, oh,
0: this,
2: is, this is you're gonna you're gonna love this you're gonna love this uh, i maybe you'll maybe' you will, maybe you won't he wait anyway, my friend we're like twenty years old and he's like tearing tickets uh like whatever <laughs> right and this guy comes up to him and he's got a four year old and his four year old is just destroyed and the guy goes uh, he goes to, to my friend and he's like hey uh, man do y'all have another movie you think would be age appropriate to him the wife and I are going through a divorce and then we watch Finding Nemo and then the, when the mom died he just lost his mind and my my friend was like who also by the way has two living and breathing parents and everything and he, this, he definitely never encountered grief before he was like ah 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 ah, ah you're like
1: how do you like, respond you know, like, you to that.
2: that? You have that like you're know, like oh I have no idea how to handle well, this. You and, don't, and it's like The
0: thing is you also don't recognize just how many kids entertainment and adolescent entertainment oh, is about dead
1: parents. parents. there's just parents. so many dead yeah. parents. I remember whenever uh me whenever I went to go see up in theaters for the first time, <laughs> I just remember like you know the opening 10 minutes, I, it's dead silent. Like everyone is just shocked and yeah, stunned at how like just Bleak this opening is, and this like seven-year-old kid behind me goes, "Mommy, this is sad." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God!" Well, it's K- like, "Hey kids, miscarriage." Oh, oh Lord. it's like you have Jesus. to get,
2: you have to get like. And it's
1: funny because even even the ones that seem somewhat like innocuous, like um. I recently uh, rewatched uh, Peter Pan, the Disney animated Peter Pan for uh-huh. the first time in a while. And, like, the family situation at home in the beginning of that film is somewhat depressing. Well, and the
2: interesting thing is, it's funny you should mention Peter Pan and dad issues and father issues and all this stuff. So, traditionally, in the play of Peter Pan, Hook is Hook played is, by the father. Hook and the father are dual cast. And my favorite version of Peter Pan, which is the 2003, 2004 film, the with Jason Ger- Isaac the Jason uh, one, where he played it, like, again, it's like uh, that is such a to me like stuff like that is so like artful like I love that that's like just a trope where it's like yeah we're just going to hammer home the whole dad issues thing or the mom issues well, thing that's one of the things,
1: things that I like that. love about good children's and young adult film media programming whatever you want to call it um, is that psychologically it does imbue the viewing audience with a lot of really important messages mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's well we had this talk in the we, animation we, episode. About- we make a we make a joke about how traumatizing certain Disney films are, like you know, like Bambi Old Yeller. Like the the whole like and it's uh man, uh you look at films like that and you look at the idea of like how they present the um the, the strength of having to let go. You know, that that trope. Right. Um and it's and it's funny because you watch a lot of these as kids and you're like, oh, I'm never going to watch that again. I'm never like a lot of people are like, oh, I could never watch Old Yeller again. And then, you know, it's but if you ever have the unfortunate Like circumstance of ever having to go through a situation like that. Like over the last two over the last two years, I've had to euthanize two dogs, Mm -hmm. Um, and it is one of the hardest things you will ever have to do. But I can also find comfort in the fact that you know, whenever I was young, I watched a lot of these movies that kind of taught me the lesson that you know, it's never good to allow suffering, you know, and that you know you're going to grieve and it's going to hurt, but eventually you're going to be okay. And that's why, you know, I like what Meredith brought up about I Kill Giants being a film where it's, you know, it's about grief and it's about, it's not like, oh, you conquered grief because that's nobody, you can't
0: conquer nobody grief. conquers grief. Unless you're maybe yeah. like a psychopath or something. Yeah, you something. don't conquer yeah. grief, you don't you conquer
2: don't don't... addiction, you don't conquer mental yeah, illness. Yeah, there's no cure for any of this. There's no cure no, you for s- any of this. you survive.
1: Really? That's all, that's all human beings do is they just survive. Or
0: you learn to cope or you learn yeah. to, to kind of manage, but you never, it never goes away. Grief doesn't ever go away. It just becomes... Yeah, it's like... It just, I mean, you just compartmentalize well, well, it better, I, I or like you, that you cope you know, I like better. that you
1: bring up the idea of coping, because it's like, you know, what, uh, like I said, I, I, I made some questionable decisions. I bought some fairly pricey Lego sets, and <laughs> like I, I'm sitting there at the table, and as I'm putting together this gigantic space shuttle, it's not necessarily that the grief goes away. It's not that it's not there. It's just that I can manage it for that, you know... You can 30, That yourself. 45 minutes to an hour that my mind is not on that. Hey,
0: the post, and, the post loss retail therapy is very real it's uh it's uh, thanks capitalism and exploiting our our sadness but you buy yourself new distractions
2: and the thing the thing that is kind of that i think that kind of sometimes also doesn't get spoken about grief is that it's inevitable right like like you always have, I mean, you know, whatever, there's so much philosophy that's being written about, um, you know, us, our denial of death and our denial of the fact that, you know, this is a short time on earth and we really don't know what's going to happen afterward. Even if you have the utmost convictions, religious or otherwise, like you will still have to lose your parents. Yeah. You will still have to lose loved ones unless like you have basically no time on earth or like, like, and so, you know, I mean, loss I've, is
1: literally the only universal. And it's funny. Yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to The Simpsons for a minute. It's that that the line that Homer told Bart, "You could wake up dead tomorrow." tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's funny because like when uh, when my brother and I went to uh, to deal with the situation with my parents' accident, um, we had to drive six hours to Baton Rouge because it didn't happen here in town. They had an accident while they were on a road trip, and the whole time we were hoping that my mom was going to pull through after the accident, um, we were like leaning on each other in this weird way in that again, we talked in Simpsons quotes for a good afternoon. Right. And we, like, at first, we didn't realize that we were doing it. It was just kind of a thing. It was a groove that we fell into, because it was something that we did whenever we were younger, because we loved The Simpsons growing up. And then it just slowly devolved into the things like, oh, we are both aware of what we're doing. We know it's stupid, but we're going to continue to keep doing it until, like, the
2: dam breaks. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, And it's like, it's so weird and strange that it's like, you know, death is the end for somebody. It's the end for the person who's died. But for you, it's the second act, you know, like, oh, you know, somewhere in the middle of the movie that is Jake's life. Yeah. You know, your parents died in the like somewhere in the middle or maybe like depending on how you could live to be a hundred. So maybe the first third. But like, and that's just something that's going to happen. Like my, my Family like my parents probably only have if they you know barring catastrophe anywhere between fifteen and twenty years left in them, and that is an eternity in so many ways. But and, it also no time at all. No time lo- at all in the long, in the long run. In the long run yeah. You know I'm- and.
0: I'm hoping to upload myself into San Junipero. <laughs> Well,
2: like, I thought they would have invented immortality by the time I turned twenty five and then I could think just be so. immortal.
1: But it's and it's and a lot of it also what a lot of people don't realize is that the grieving process is something that you go through and and you, generally speaking, have no no control over when you're gonna be pushed into that grieving section. Like um Whenever I lost my granddad a couple of years ago, um, he lived to be ninety three, ninety four years old. Like he, he was like we didn't think anything could kill him. He got shot in the butt at Iwo Jima. <laughs> like he, he's like he he lived through you know, so much. He was just, he was just, a just, a you know, tough as nails old cattle rancher. And eventually it was, it was skin cancer that got him because, you know, he was out in the, in the Texas sun all day. Uh That's eventually going to take, it's eventually going to get you. Um, but he decided, he said on his own terms, it's like, I'm not going to seek treatment for this because you know, what's the point? I'm 94 years old. I'm going to go out on my own terms. And so we were able to almost pre-grieve. In that mm-hmm. instance, and then there's the, there's like whenever you're dealing with um, illnesses where people choose to fight, that's an entirely different situation. Like what's presented here in I Kill Giants, versus like whenever someone dies unexpectedly in a car crash, versus you know like you you, you hear about like freak occurrences like all the time. It's the different ways that we grieve present different. Opportunities. I hate to use the word opportunities. And, well, and yet in
0: the media, typically all we ever see is just like uh, I'm going to weep quietly by a window.
1: Yeah, it's it's usually it's like I'm going to sit by a window. Something by Sarah McLachlan is going to play on the soundtrack. Um, there may or may not be rain. You
0: know, I, I heard a story from a friend of mine uh, uh, where she was much scolded for crying too much at a funeral, and that's because I think our expectations of grief are so messed up. Well, that's where, um, where you 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 have to like. Gently weep. And well, and you, you
1: can't like. Alternatively, um, I have been criticized because uh, I have I don't feel like I've cried enough, or people have not felt like they've seen me actively like expressing outward grief. Um, and part of that is because, like I said, it's like okay, this is a thing that I have to deal with. I'm compartmentalizing. Right. And another part of it is because if I'm going to do that, I am not going to show it to anyone. Like that's going to be my vulnerability. It's something I'm going to do in private. Um, and one of the things that I really like about this film is the fact that I think that everybody understood that she was grieving. Everybody, It, right. was, it was pretty much implied that everybody knew what was going on, um, except, like, her friends slowly came to the realization... Right, and she wouldn't um, have known because she was new. Yeah, so, um, her psychologist slowly comes as she builds her file. She comes to that realization, so... Her
0: family obviously
1: knows. Yeah, her family obviously knows. And the way that the film showed different people react to the way that people react to bad, to trauma, it's, it's, it's something that's not often covered. Some of the times, especially in media, what we see is, uh, is cliche. Um, and I feel like it's because presenting stuff like this stuff, like what, uh, what Barbara was going through in I killed giants is largely uncomfortable.
0: Well, and her abrasiveness too also rang true because sometimes you're not always uh, grief can make cranky. Oh, yeah. Grief can make you cranky. It it can make you just be like this little... Like, you got a little rain cloud over your head. You're not always going to be... You're not always going to be just, you know, like I said, sitting quietly by a window, sadness with with Sarah McLachlan playing in the background. Sometimes you're going to be mad. Yeah, I mean... Sometimes someone's going to say something and you're going to snap at
2: them. And as a person who is sitting there watching that happen, you've got to be able to just accept whatever it is that's being thrown at you, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... You know, to an like, extent, though, and that's you not don't, even. I mean, you can't yeah. take abuse. Like, right. Don't don't get beat by because. But you, also, don't somebody tell your
0: is... don't tell your friends they're they're kind of yeah. cranky that they're going through some stuff. Don't tell I them that like... your their crankiness is abuse either, because yeah. that's a jerk oh, no. move. I, yeah, I feel yeah. like
1: I feel like because I've I've been through a lot of situations with friends who have endured trauma or who are going through grief, and I look at their reaction to it, and what I what I what I strive for in that situation is to be the person who is empathetic mm-hmm. because yeah. i feel like and i feel like i don't know if this is just me like projecting of what i've seen lately but there seems to be a almost an aversion to the idea of being openly empathetic uh, like somehow that's viewed as a weakness in modern society whenever i think yeah. whenever i feel like if anything that's one of the greatest strengths that any person can have Absolutely. is the ability to be empathetic so it's like
0: Mr. Rogers taught us that and we would all do well to internalize literally every message he he put it into the world,
1: and I I feel like you know. Whenever you are dealing with someone who is dealing with something, um, the the onus is not on you to like fix them. It's not on you to. Um, I mean, if they ask you for for help, then it it would be rude to turn it away. But you need to provide what you need to be able to look at them. Analyze the situation. Be empathetic and provide what they need, not what you think they well, need in that and situation. If you're, if you're and, and if you're incapable, yeah, you, need to, you need to, say, you need to something say something and take a step Absolutely. back. Yeah, and
2: it's I, I that's I've, okay. I've definitely found myself in more than one situation where I where somebody was basically not like putting off their grief by basically using me as a as somebody to to do that. Right. And it's not even necessarily loved ones dying or anything like that. I mean there have been people who I've you know people have been going through divorce yeah, that that's have still been a people, people who have other types of trauma, medical trouble, this and this and that or and 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 as somebody who is empathetic and wants to be helpful and doesn't like saying something like i'm sorry (laughs) because it just seems weird and hollow and sometimes like you try to find a way to be empathetic but you have like you said you have to know when and you have to be very clear when you're saying like hey i understand but i can't be that for you yeah yeah like it's Um, fine
0: to set your own boundaries everyone like any caregiver has to be able to set boundaries
2: yeah exactly i mean and there's like you know, yeah. There, and and also, it's like, I'm not a professional. I'm not a mental health oh, right. professional. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not a grief. I'm not even, you know, I don't even know someone who is a mental health professional, uh, like outwardly or inwardly or anything like that. And I've got my own bag of tricks <laughs> that are coping mechanisms and issues with family members and, you know, existential dread. <laughs> like, you know, like, and I, I wouldn't presume to even, like, offer that. Right. Like I, I think that, you know,
0: I think the best thing to ask too is what specifically do you need?
1: Exactly.
2: Because
0: because yeah. otherwise otherwise people end up with like 20 casseroles and nobody to talk to.
1: Yeah, that's and, yeah. and Which don't get me
0: wrong, the casseroles are always welcome because no, casseroles are awesome. No they are like,
1: not. No they are not because whenever I was whenever I first got back home after both of my parents had passed, everyone's like, "Can I make you a casserole? Would that be good?" I'm like, "No, it would not." The Why only is thing,
2: casserole morning food. It's the like The only thing a bunch it, of, the, it, the it's only so many thing
1: amazing worse, carbohydrates. The yeah. only thing worse than dead parents is a casserole.
0: But no. <laughs> <laughs> casseroles are awesome. No,
1: casseroles are disgusting. And for some reason everyone's like, Can I make you a casserole? I'm like, No. no you can it- like if you do you wanna do you wanna give me some good food? Like would that be good for you? I've Dude, just, cheesy noodle, noodles <laughs> with tuna is so good. That sounds disgusting, although, it's okay. amazing. Going back to my weird gallows humor, um, while I was in Baton Rouge, there was a support group for people who were grieving, and the thing that they were, they like, look, we know you're from out of town, we don't want you spending a whole lot of money, we know you're paying for a hotel room, we're going to give you some gift cards so that you can go eat. Aww. And so sweet. These people were amazing, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciated it. The thing is, every gift card was to either Hooters or Twin Peaks? (laughs)
0: Uh, I failed to see the problem. So yes. so
1: here I am. I'm I'm in a I'm in a city that I don't know. I'm like I'm and there's these there's these women just with gi- with like, with wings like gigantic and... FCC, like FCC these, FCC these women tracks of land. FCC the tracks of land. Just, gigantic tracks of land in my face flirting with me more than is than is necessary or appreciated and I'm just like trying not to cry deciding if I want to get either the hot wings or the cheese dip. That's Incredible. And and in that moment, I realized how hilarious and wrong and terrible it all
2: was. You have
0: ended up a character in one of your own stories. Yes,
2: I did. Death is a strange and weird, weird thing. And
0: I think that I, what I, and just to wrap up, because we've got about five five minutes left, grief and death are strange and weird, and that's exactly what I kill giants is trying to say, and not enough people say that death is strange and weird. And, well, I feel like pe- so I feel strange. like, a, lo- well, I so feel like a lot
1: of people say that but they don't know how to say it in a way that truly connects on a real level or makes an actual statement that is understandable. They
0: might not even be marketable either cuz I killed giants basically went straight to video on demand. Yeah, it and there's
1: there's a reason this film would not connect at any box office because people would walk out going, "Well, that's a bummer. Let's go see Transformers 8." But do you think
0: do you think it's because our expectation of death not be- death being like weird? <laughs> and uncomfortable in well and i think it's hard i think it's hard to, i think abrasive. it is hard
1: to sell a serious ya like grief drama because like there is no mainstream audience for this type of film i don't think
2: there's an i mean it's the, a, it's a very it's an, niche film it's an indie book and it's an indie film. Yeah, yeah. That's like true. that's really what it is. It's, it's just the same, it, it's it's was it's always destined for cult status. It no. was always going to be destined. It was a cult book. Well, the it's going to be a cult movie. The
0: reviews I thought were unnecessarily harsh.
1: Yeah, and well, there's I feel like um films that kind of go off in a weird direction and and handle certain um underrepresented stigma. If you look at films that handle that, sometimes the reviews don't know what to do with it.
2: Yeah. Well, cough, I, cough, proud, Mary, cough. I, I cough. have to say, also, like you know, it's like that. It's, I think, it's like that's like it's kind of like the Orville, right? Where yeah. it's like the Orville is critically lampooned because people don't know what to do with it. People, like the reviewer, it, it, they, it, they it's have a no throwback idea. Throwback yeah. show. It's really that, but its ratings are through the roof, and I think, and that's just a subjective. I mean, you know, because Transformers reviews are always horrible, and they're making about a ton of money, but everybody believes that. The, those movies are awful like so it, it, it's one of those weird gray areas you know yeah. it's like i agree with and you. i think that i think that i kill giants like it did in its comic book form will find its audience I, and joe kelly is to be thanked for that and uh and everybody who worked on the film and everybody who worked in the comics should be thanked for that and also um i have to share this little anecdote that i was i read joe kelly basically said that like this is still his favorite work that he's ever Aww. done which and he specifically is like anytime somebody cosplays as barbara at cons and the first time i saw it happen i basically cried Aww. and it still happens that's like, awesome it still happens like it, it's still the thing that means the most to him and i'm glad that he got to do it the way that he wanted to yeah. do it yeah. both way both both times because you know he could you know he could it could have been very different oh right. yeah so, well,
1: I certainly enjoyed talking about the film. I'm glad that you came back to talk with yes, us. Thank you, you had so a, much. You Chris. had a really good insight on it. Um, I'm sure that uh, if you're as b- big a fan of masochism as you said at the top of the show, you'll be back again soon.
0: Yeah, well, we might be doing Robin Hood, I think.
1: Robin Hood, what, which <laughs> With Taryn Edg- Edgerton and uh, Jamie Foxx. <sighs> I'll take that as a yes. Yeah,
0: we're we're booking you for that one then, buddy. All right,
2: only if I can talk about the conquests of the longbow adventure game from Sierra Online in 1991. Yes. sure. Written why by, not? Why and not? Designed by the creator of Jenna of the Holograms*.
1: Oh man, nice. we'll, we'll we'll definitely do
0: that. We, I did post up a list of uh, what's coming up.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This has been uh, Pop and Schlock Live on KPFD HD2. Chris,
0: where can we find you on the Internet?
2: You can follow me on Twitter at SideshowChris uh, with no H. uh, But I would prefer that you follow the Instagram account of the uh, photography show that I co uh, produce It's called Flats. And uh, you can find it on Flats Presents at Instagram. And then, yeah, I'm reading a grown-up story time at Rudyard's. This this month. I love grown up stories. Best time. of uh, third Tuesday of the month. I want to say it's the sixteenth, whatever that one. Well, is. Well,
1: just uh, let me know when the show ends, and I'll like make a note of it, and I can put it up with the uh, whenever I put the show on the archive. Anyway, thank Tight. you, thank you again for coming back. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Word.